we have to kind of change our perception about what our role is in the social media landscape. You know, we have to make stuff break through the noise. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We don't agonize, we organize. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do. Today, we're talking January 6th insurrection co-conspirators, the Facebook papers, and election week. Virginia, of course, but also all over the country. And we go deep into digital organizing with activist, writer, and executive director of Demcast, Nick Knudsen. All that, plus our reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How How We We Win. So much to talk about. Excited about this show. Uh, It is almost Election Day in Virginia and Mm -hmm. Election Day in a lot of other places, too. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk with Nick Knudsen, executive director of Demcast, about all things digital and organizing and how we can help amplify the truth. Mm. Um, Very important. Yeah. So exciting digital-based show on our digitally-platformed podcast today. I know. I'm a digital fiend, so I'm ready to nerd out on, on some of this stuff. First up, though... I mean, we got to check in on the most important and insane moment that that we've experienced. Doesn't January 6th feel like so long ago? It hasn't even been a year yet. It does. And um, and the Republicans really want it to feel old and, and long, long ago. Um, they want us to move on from it so, so badly. I wonder why. Yeah. Well, they have their dirty little fingerprints all over everything from January 6th. You pulled a paragraph from this Rolling Stone article about um, how the January 6th organizers met with um, members of Congress and their staff at the, and, and, the, and folks in the White House. I looked because it's it's a list of names and I looked at the names and I was like, well, this is it's the greatest like, hits. <laughs> it's the it's the greatest hits of what you've been calling the the GQP. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, well, the only per, the only clown that's missing is Marjorie Taylor Greene. And oh, no, she's there. And that's because she was like <laughs> they got into real detail in the paragraph before about her involvement before they went back and listed, you know, Louis Gomert, Mo Brooks, Madison Cawthorn, Lauren Boebert. The, the the greatest and Andy of, Briggs, yeah, yeah, the, the, Biggs, the, like rather. the the most shameful members of that party. Yes, and of course you're talking about this article that came out in the Rolling Stone. And by the way, Rolling Stone has been uh, doing some great reporting, really breaking yeah, have, some yeah. some big stories. And they have uh, exclusively spoken with a couple of who will remain anonymous because of the ongoing investigation organizers of the January 6th rally um, about the involvement with these pro-Trump Republicans um, in Congress who helped them plan January 6th, who helped them plan the opposition to certifying the vote, um, who were party to 
the the potential for violence and uh, and didn't uh, push back on that either. Um, there's a lot of information. They are going to be testifying before the January 6th committee, uh, specifically Paul Gosar from Arizona, mm-hmm. even uh, talked to them about blanket pardons for their actions and said that he had been speaking with the White House and brought up their names specifically to give them blanket wow. pardons for their work with them on this. I mean, it's really uh, explosive reporting, damning reporting for, as you said, the the greatest hits of the GQP in Congress. You know, no wonder they are <laughs> so against, you know, looking under the hood of the January 6th and, and who was involved. Um, also notably, the article talks about Mark Meadows, who already has been subpoenaed, mm-hmm. um, and and that he was made very, very aware of the of the escalating nature of this, of the violent groups who were uh, helping participate in this and the potential for uh, for more violence and did not push back on it, was in a position where he could have restricted some of the activities or encouraged a different course, and he did not. So um, his testimony will be will be really interesting to hear. I don't feel sorry for the organizers of this of the attack on the Capitol. But if what they're saying is true, if they were given the impression that Donald Trump was going to pardon them, first of all, that means that they knew going in that they were about to do something very bad. Exactly. But but if their great leader was actually going to pardon them, and and they and they were true believers then I, I i guess you you see why they why they're going in thinking that they have the republican party behind them um if i was them i would be singing like a bird because this is their out and if it's true then they've been left high and dry by people who so far aren't facing any consequences for supporting this yeah, that's right. And uh, they are singing. And uh, specifically in the article, they asked one of the organizers what you would say to Donald Trump in the aftermath of this. And uh, his or her response was, what the fuck? <laughs> that's literally what they said. Like they they absolutely feel um, left out in the cold. You know, they were you know, expected they would be taken care of. And, you know, people key in Trump's orbit keep expecting him to be loyal or to take care of them then they haven't learned by now that he only takes care of himself and and uh, and yeah he'll he'll throw pardons out there for steve bannon but uh it's not going to help steve bannon now because steve bannon is going to face uh some legal jeopardy of his own because of his refusing to um cooperate with subpoena so by the way that needs to happen right now why isn't he in jail yet but anyway yeah, as usual, the most powerful people are going to get out of this unscathed. Um, that means that it comes down to us, the activists and voters, to mm, identify how dangerous they are and make sure that they are not reelected and go back to D.C. Um, we are the line that stops the craziness because the system really doesn't seem to be working at this point. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of the January 6th insurrection, 
so much coming out about Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. how it was wielded as a tool uh, at that time and, and in the days leading up to it, how Facebook employees felt about what was going on and the the dangers that they were identifying um, uh, on January 6th and beyond. Yeah, uh, we, we've talked about this before. You know, we talked about Francis Haugen, who was, I believe, our hero of the week one week for testifying and, and bringing a lot of these documents to light. Um, whole new trove of documents have have come out. Um, CNN summarized with this, a series of news stories dubbed the Facebook Papers based on thousands of internal company documents reveals how the platform has been used to sow political discord and extremism across the world, Mm -hmm. facilitate human trafficking, push hate speech and misinformation, and organize events like the January 6th insurrection. The documents also revealed that Facebook leaders sometimes knew to some extent the damage being caused by users. Um, one point that really struck a chord for me and when we were, we've been talking about the algorithm on Facebook a lot, and we'll talk with, right. uh, Nick, uh, about this too, because he is a social media expert and knows a lot about, you know, what kind of things get more engagement, but, uh, they actually had five points for anger. Mm-hmm. If you click the anger emoji and one point for a like, mm. So, so so stuff that promotes anger gets uh, rated five times as high as someone posting, you know, just clicking a like on something. Um, yeah, that's not at all surprising. And I'll tell you, I, I create content for organizations and campaigns, and I see it. I, I, I see the feel-good content um, being uh, suppressed and the irritating, exciting, and anything that elicits an emotion, and that, but that's not necessarily sharing good information, is lifted up. And um, I, I see one of the most frustrating things is buying ads on Facebook. It builds up uh, your organic content. So if you're if you if you stop buying, I've stopped buying ads. I, I paused ad buying for some nonprofits and seen the number of people who were able to reach go down on our non-ad related content. So Facebook is essentially punishing you. Um, the point is that the game is rigged. What you're seeing is not necessarily all that people are putting out there. You're seeing what. Facebook thinks you're most likely to engage with, and then that, they follow that up with ads that are targeted at you. It, it's it's all a business, and it's so frustrating because so much good happens on this platform, and then it doesn't really find, get seen. It, 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 well, it doesn't really get seen, but as a user, I don't want to support something like this. That's harming children, that's uh, harming de- democracies around the world. Um, but I want to stay connected to my friends and I want to share photos with my family. Um, and I'm never going to text all those people individually. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big happen. text chain. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I rely on it personally, but feel yeah. really terrible about using it. And and um, Frances um, Haugen has, she's not calling for the, as far as I've seen, she's not calling for like 
the disillusion of Facebook. She is calling for uh, reform to, to how it's managed and used. And so she uh, has taken to Twitter to make some recommendations, um, including better transparency from Facebook, addressing what you described, engagement-based ranking mm-hmm. on, on posts, um, and then um, tools other than censorship to monitor content. So um, I like that there are potential solutions, but you know who it's up to to implement them. Zucky. One of the richest men in the world. (laughs) (laughs) A person who uh, stands to lose millions and millions of dollars by by making it a a less Haiti propaganda-y platform. And... You know, I mean, it's an interesting, there's interesting sociology to all of this too, just in terms of um, how us humans are drawn to, mm. to hate, to, yeah. um, to, you know, conspiracy and, and sort of don't engage with nice positive stories, you know, and it's something that, you know, we really try to be intentional, of course, on our show is to showcase reasons for hope and not just talk about all of the world on fire stuff, uh, even though, you know, the, the world is on fire. Our democracy certainly is is standing on a shaky balance beam right now. But, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, the, the fight uh, for our attention between Squid Game or the British baking show. Uh, <laughs> we need more British baking, maybe less Squid Game. Although I would love to see a British baking show with Squid Game elements combined. So if your scone oh, is goodness. too moist, you're killed. But anyway, see, that's now I'm dark. That's now I'm in dark. a dark place. That's the human nature. I don't know the answer. Well, I love this callback to two episodes ago. <laughs> When we talked about, you know, feel good TV versus violent escapism. Um, but, but you know, you are, I have a little Steve voice in my head now when I'm on social media. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll read a headline that like fires me up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read this article because I know it's going to make me angry. And, it just, and then I'm like, no, don't engage. Keep scrolling. <laughs> nice. Nice. And, and important to inform yourself, certainly, you know, um, but boy, the, the doom scrolling and the getting worked up over stuff. And it's so easy to, I get so worked up to just like to share and amplify that content. And we, we must not, we must fight against those instincts. We must be clear why we are sharing something. Like what, mm. what are, what are we doing? What are we gaining? How are we contributing to the discourse when we're sharing something? I'm sure Nick will have a lot to say about that in our interview too. I can't wait to hear. Um, the, the last thing we wanted to talk about is election day uh, is less than a week away. The big oot, one. Oot. Is, Sorry. Yeah, very exciting. Got excited. You got a very articulated woot woot there. Um, <laughs> uh, Virginia on everyone's minds of course (laughs) always yep um but there are tons of other elections going on and i just wanted to just tell like suggest to people just do a quick google search and make sure there's nothing to vote on in your city or county next week uh if there is for sure go vote 
if you live in California like Steve, you've gotten a million mailers about everything. Yeah. If you live in Texas like me, you have gotten no information about mm. <laughs> what's on the ballot, where to go, when you need to go by. You got to do it yourself. Um, I think most people live in in-between places. So always, always a good reminder to make sure you're not supposed to be voting. You really went from one extreme to the other when you moved from California, from L.A. to Texas. I love Austin, though. I love the city that you're in. So, I love it, too. But it's it, uh, it's it's not easy to vote here. And, oh, my gosh, my husband real, realized that he um, forgot to register to vote when he uh, got his driver's license here. SOL. I mm. mean, there's there's a week left and, you know, they're like. Too bad you can't vote. Well, um, you'll just have to vote twice then. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how the investigations. <laughs> so yes, everybody, Google local elections. Make sure you're not missing out on anything. Uh, of course, we're going to talk in our call to action about how you can help out in Virginia because that is so so important. In mm -hmm. case you haven't heard, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been talking about Virginia and had some great – please go back and listen to some of our previous episodes with the Virginia delegates that we've had on to uh, speak about Virginia. They're amazing people. They've been great. Yeah, they've been really great. But first, let's hear about our Hero of the Week. So my Hero of the Week this week was Claudette Colvin. Um, her name probably sounds vaguely familiar to you um, because she's been talked about in, in more recent years. In 1955, she refused to give up her bus seat for a white person in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and of course, uh, nine months later, Rosa Parks did the same thing and set the world on fire. Claudette is less well known because the, you know, one of the, I guess, uh, challenging secrets of activism and organizing is that all of that stuff is planned. And so Claudette mm -hmm. was 15 years old at the time and was arrested. And, you know, her her case, she ended up involved in a case that went to the Supreme Court. Um, but during the time she got pregnant, so she was this teen, you know, teen mom involved in this case. And the you know, activists who were organizing the Montgomery bus boycotts were saying, you know, Rosa Parks, an older, respectable, mm. light-skinned woman is going to be mm. more palatable for everyone to rally around. Um, so Rosa Parks chose to sit, be arrested, and everybody right. rallied behind her. So anyway, why am I talking about Claudette right now? Um, her arrest is still on the record books in Montgomery, Alabama, and she is now asking for uh, it to be expunged. So here is Ms. Colvin in her own words. That day when the bus driver asked me to get up, I had this feeling come over me. It felt like Harriet Tubman was holding me down, hands were holding me down on one shoulder, and so John of Truth hands were holding me down on another shoulder. And I was glued to the seat and I could hear the white passioners saying, she gotta move, she gotta move. That's the law, she gotta move. And I felt like this is my time to take a stand for justice. And 
her reason for wanting the record expunged is very similar and very simple. She wants a new generation of activists and people to see that progress is possible and they shouldn't be afraid to fight for it. And that having the record expunged will be a symbol of that progress. And she says she hopes that it will inspire them to make the world better. Wow. So So. that is incredibly inspiring. And what an amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of that. And and you make a, a really good, important point uh, about Rosa Parks and and how these actions are are planned to have impact, and sometimes you have actions that are just motivated by the injustice of the moment and someone refusing to adhere to it, and and that's what this young woman did, and that's an, an incredible story. I'm so glad you highlighted her today. Absolutely. There's, um, if you want to watch a really sort of tug in cheek version of this, Drunk History has a great <laughs> episode featuring uh, Claudette Colvin's story. And it's a very charming, I mean, it's a horrible story, obviously, um, but it's also a great story about a feisty teen girl who said enough is enough. All right. So let's talk about this week's to do list. Hmm, what are we going to do this week? We are gonna get out the vote in Virginia. If you have waited till now, now is the time to make some calls. Don't like making calls? This could be a good opportunity to try it again. You know, you're, the, the universe they reach out to at this stage of the game is uh, usually a very friendly one. It, it's people who are supportive, who the, uh, the campaigns have identified, uh, support them, but just need a little extra help making that plan, knowing where their polling place is, knowing how they can vote and making sure that they vote. Uh, early voting ends on Saturday, and Election Day, of course, is Tuesday. So this is it. This is our last opportunity. Go to swingleft.org slash action and get into action. Really, really important. Don't wait. Please do it. We need to hold on to that trifecta in Virginia. Yeah, see, I like waiting till GOTV to make phone calls. I'm a, I'm a procrastinator by nature. But like you said, like the, the calls are always fun right now because people like – Oh, there's an election. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Or they're like, I already, I already voted. Great. I'll take you off the list. Moving on. Exactly. There's a lot of list cleaning, a lot of uh, voter ID work that happens in earlier stage of the stages of the campaign, and and that's where you'll typically be reaching out to maybe not like-minded voters to get their ideas on issues or find out what their how you know how their support is and those can sometimes lead to some uh, less than friendly conversations the kind of conversations that i think a lot of people like to avoid and is the reason why they are shy about phone banking but uh at this stage when you talk to somebody and and they thank you and you have a good conversation it really lights lights you up and and makes you want to keep calling so try it out everybody Great. Can't wait to make some phone calls. But first, before I do that, we've got an interview and then we've got our reasons for hope. Nick Knudsen is an activist, writer, and co-founder and executive director of Dimcast, grassroots media by the people for the people. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah. Uh, I would love to learn a little bit about you and your background. Uh, have you always been involved in politics or in uh, progressive media? Uh, no and no. <laughs> um, I am uh, I am a 2016 convert to the to the whole enterprise. Yeah. Uh, Trump Trump like many people I think who are in the space now. Trump uh, activated me and uh, scared the living daylights out of me. So I kind of looked around for things to do the you know how I could make a difference and what my skill set was and how I could bring it to bear for the for the movement um, to beat back the autocracy and so I you know I, I I'm a lifelong nonprofit professional I, I live here in Portland Oregon I've worked for uh, a few nonprofits here for for pretty long stints doing things like development work and coalition building hmm. And uh, and writing, and so you know, I, I started out after Trump got elected, doing some just political writing. Got a few things published in some places, and uh, and just dove in online because that seemed to be where the conversation was. Of course, at that time, Trump was on Twitter, uh, so that was kind he of was. A, <laughs> you, you may have heard. Yeah. So. <laughs> so that was a place where a lot of people sort of went. I think initially. Um, and uh, just kind of started to play around and, and basically became a digital activist during the 2018 midterm cycle. And uh, after that cycle, just noticed, wow, there's a really big gap here um, in digital infrastructure. So um, that's when we, a uh, few activists and I uh, decided that we were going to try and create something to fill that gap. And that is Dimcast that you co-founded. Um, how did that evolve? What were your goals for the platform? And, and for those who aren't familiar with it, can you talk about what you do? Absolutely. Demcast started out as a effort to help lift the voices of grassroots activists who were creating digital media. So, you know, myself, I was creating a lot of written pieces uh, and getting them published. And, and the more those pieces got seen online, you know, they carried a strategic message the better. And, uh, and the way that things get seen online is by amplifying them. Right. <laughs> Unless you're paying uh, to promote them. And so, um, you know, I just noticed that by working with other people in the digital space who were intentionally amplifying things, you could move content, uh, move good content, whether it's video, articles, uh, memes, graphics, uh, that helped to tell the story of our movement and the resistance effort against the Trump administration. So Demcast was really founded to help lift up those types of grassroots um, digital artifacts that were being created all across the country from down ballot races, to, you know, to, to top of ballot races. Right. Um, and, and, and also to fight disinformation. And, you know, we, we created a content site and uh, we do publish uh, grassroots content on DemcastUSA.com. Um, but what Demcast really evolved into was more of a uh, more of an activist organization rather than a media organization, which is what mm -hmm. we originally intended. Because there's actually a lot of great digital content out there. Um, you don't necessarily need to create it. What's out there should just we we need a mechanism to make sure it gets amplified. Yeah, and so that's that's where we've focused our efforts is on uh, building out a distributed network of online grassroots activists who 
you know, who share content and strategic messi messaging uh, intentionally, you know, to, to tell the story of our movement uh, and to lift up uh, candidates and causes and grassroots organizations um, and, uh, and beat back the disinformation that's out there. It's so important. And, um, you know, we talk about this on our show a lot that in the progressive media or just the alternative media landscape, I should say, um, we're getting our butts kicked by yep. the uh, right wing conspiracy, QAnon, hate, all, all of that. And uh, and that's the noise that's being amplified. We we're talking about the Facebook papers a little earlier and um, and what we know about Facebook amplifying hate over um, nice stuff, you know, right? Because right. it gets more engagement. Um, right. And and so your work is so important. And and uh, you mentioned that it was distributed. I've I've seen you have a lot of uh, I guess they're called state captains. Is that right? Uh -huh. um, yep. All over the country that work to, as you said, amplify these important messages and content. Um, how do they like accumulate? Because these are normal everyday activists, I, I guess, who jump in. A lot of them have tons of followers uh, and a very big reach on Twitter now. So can you give us a, a look under the hood at Resistance Twitter and, and how regular people can create that kind of reach and influence? Asking for a friend. Right. Asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, so first, just to just to be clear, we're we're multi-platform. Uh, we are we we have a significant and heavy presence on Twitter, but we're also uh, our network is also on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. Um, and each of those platforms has a different strategy because the algorithms work differently, and you need to do different kind of um, digital organizing on each one. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as as far as Twitter goes, um, if if you want to get a message out on that platform. One way to do that is to have a gigantic account that can say, hey, let's trend so-and-so. And then it just goes because you just have that much clout and influence. Well, hmm. that doesn't really work for small grassroots folks who don't have that kind of clout and influence. So how can you trend something? How can you uh, get messaging out you know, more broadly from, from small accounts? And it's by sort of mutual amplification and creating a supportive community around the idea that sharing content, sharing messaging, is activism now in the in the twenty first century. Uh, right. We 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 have we have a serious communications problem on our side, <laughs> um, and a lot of people just blame the Democrats. Democrats are not effective messengers, and why aren't they talking about all these things, great things that they're doing? And um, you know, I I tend to have more sympathy for for the Democrats on this front because what they're trying to do is communicate a governing philosophy and policy priorities in a media environment that rewards you know uh, salacious content right and 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 vitriol and you can have you know a con your and and go to your congressman's twitter feed they are probably talking about it you're just not seeing it right uh, and it's not getting amplified because People don't amplify that stuff. Um, so, you know, we have to kind of change our perception about what our role is in the social media landscape. And and that's what we try and do with folks is, is um, you know, we have to make stuff break through the noise. And the only way we can do that, because the algorithms are working against us and the media is not helping, the only way that we can do that is just by banding together and 
uh, mutually amplifying each other and and strong messaging um, that's going to help help our cause on the left and create pressure on public officials and uh, clear up uh, disinformation that's floating around there uh, out there from from right wing sources, you know, all of that stuff. So so sort of <laughs> back to your under the hood question. Um, <laughs> we organize off platform we use slack we use right. we send out emails we send out texts when we're when we're doing a social media action centrally from demcast and then we also just bring people together in groups on platform you know in um, direct message groups and that kind of thing and we also use hashtags um you know people will throw on the demcast hashtag onto tweets and and people will go looking for that to to mutually amplify each other so that's a good way for for uh, people who aren't plugged into demcast to find how they can help be a force multiplier in in whatever message or issue you're really trying to pump out at the given time right yeah that is a good way and i think an, another way is just to go to our website um demcast.com if you go to demcast.com slash join, it'll, um, that's our kind of sign up form and we can get you hooked in and, um, we don't barrage, we don't barrage with emails. We don't barrage with text. Oh, we, we totally do that. Swing left yeah. sends you a lot of emails. The good ones, they're tasty, but yeah, you get a lot. <laughs> I, I, I do get those. I do get those. Um, and we, you we love every single one of them, right? We, I do. I do. <laughs> I, I, I eat them up. Um, no, we do. We, um, we don't do that intentionally because we try and engage people on platform as much as possible uh, as opposed to through those other means so if you get an email from us it's because we have something that we really need to get out there so yeah so we we try and engage people where they are and where they're comfortable being engaged like a lot of people who are involved with demcast 2 aren't super social media savvy and uh, um and so they'll subscribe to our email so that because what we also um you know try and encourage people to take other actions. It's, you know, digital isn't, you can, we're not going to save the world with digital. We have to do it and we have to, because the right wing is beating us in this space and that's where they're winning the culture wars and all that. Yeah. Um, so we have to be there, but it's not, it's, it's necessary, but not sufficient. So, you know, we're always sending out, you know, opportunities for people to phone bank with, with swing left or with sister district or go knock on doors or do some texting. So, um, we, tr we try and meet people where they are and where they're comfortable. Well, you, you didn't answer my question about how I can um, get my friend 100,000 followers on Twitter, <laughs> but that's okay. We'll table that for now. Um, <laughs> well, we'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that offline. You know, we, we, can't, we, can't, we can't share all the really juicy can't stuff. Can't give away the a, secret on sauce. A, on a podcast. Right, but. right. Oh, damn it. I was trying to break some news, <laughs> trying to break the internet. Um, we did talk about speaking of breaking the internet, um, the Facebook papers that have come out, and and you just yeah. shared, uh, you know, basically how we become force multipliers to counter the the hate and and the uh, what we have against us right now, um, the right. obstacles we have to overcome. But um, what what are your takeaways from what you've learned in recent months about what Facebook knows and how they operate? Uh, my takeaway is that it's no surprise. <laughs> um, you know, it's been it's been clear to me for a really long time. Yeah, we, we are we, at Demcast. We are on Facebook, and uh, and we're yeah. there because we have to be. Right. But if if I weren't leading an organization, uh, <laughs> I would not be on that platform. Yeah. Because I know. Uh, because I I I think of it as a uh, um, 
sort of it's sort of like Mordor going in there <laughs> from 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 Lord of the Rings. You know, it's, yeah. it's like you you expect Sauron to pop down, but you know, it's um, they they have been um, reaping the benefits of people getting exercised and people getting emotionally um, engaged on disinformation and content that's completely unhelpful to our society um unhelpful to young girls unhelpful uh yeah. politically for for workers and low-income people and people of color and uh it's disgusting <laughs> and uh, uh and um but it but it's it just it just goes to show you how how high the deck is stacked i don't know if that's a term but <laughs> it is <laughs> sure, it is why now. <laughs> not? yeah it is now it just how, how how many cards are on that freaking deck yeah how many cards are in that deck it, that's that's very very much stacked against us in this communications war because it's not just the fact that right-wing uh crazies are sharing conspiracy theories and intentionally pushing lies to um to enrage people right uh, and inflame, you know, white white nationalism and stuff like that. It's not just that people are doing that; it's that that specific platform. But I think platforms that they're doing it on uh, rewards that, you know, algorithmically rewards that. And and th and that the company knows about it based on internal research and haven't acted on it, you know, definitely is a that's a level of evil that you know, it's it's just it's just really sick. Yeah, but. Um, but uh, but it's not surprising, like you know, based on if if you've been paying attention at all to to Zuckerberg and and, yeah. that, and that crew for the last for the last five years, um, it's been clear. It's not surprising at all, and it's like in a weird way, it's easy to joke around about it uh, because I think it's hard to wrap, at least for me, my head around the sheer magnitude and scope of the damage that. Um, Facebook and and this social media has done to our country and it's not just our country you know from the Facebook yeah. papers we're seeing how democracy uh, has been destabilized all over the world how the rise of hate can be attributed to um, you know Facebook in other parts of the country too and so yeah. it's yeah um, so it's really not funny um, and th that they are trading uh, as you said, the wellness of our young girls, the uh, the fabric of our democracy for increased profits. Um, but you know what? I, I guess what makes us want to joke about it is it's so hard for us to disconnect from Facebook, even yeah. knowing all of that. Certainly, as organizers, I feel I feel the same way. Like you know, um, I wanted to dump Facebook right before Trump was elected because of just the uh, disgusting you know, dual ecosystems that were on there and the pointless nature of it all, I thought. But then I started organizing and it was a very powerful right. tool to organize, which it is. Um, which the January sixth commission has is also finding that, you know, it, that's you know, what was used. All to, kinds of organizing. You know, all kinds of organizing there. happens <laughs> yeah. there. So Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It's an it's a very effective tool. But you know, we can use that too. Um and and we and so we have to be on there. We, not we. If you don't, if you individual listener don't want to be on Facebook, don't be on Facebook. Yeah. Um, but if if you are, then there are communities that you connect can connect with uh, on Facebook, like Demcast and and many many others, 
uh, where where there's digital organizing happening. And you know, if you're on there, go go and seek some out because uh, that platform is poison. And uh, right. And we're 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 the only possible antidote at the moment, unless there's heavy regulation coming or a complete sea change in leadership at that organization. Yeah, and I guess you know, uh, Mariah and I were talking about this earlier, when, you know, in our news segment about the Facebook papers. But um, they assign five points to clicking the anger icon and one point to a like icon for the algorithm, and um, and so that you know, I always talk about being thoughtful about how we engage. Like, why do we engage with something? Why are we sharing something? Like, be just be really thoughtful about what you are doing to something when you do that, whether it's engaging because you dislike it or like it. Um, but, you know, maybe the answer is for more of us to really share the hopeful content, the the truthy content, certainly. Um, and because, uh, you know, you've got a five to one uh, disadvantage there. So, you know, like share more of that. Don't share the articles that, that really makes you mad, you know. Um, right. Right. No, absolutely. It's really important that uh, that we do that because the truth doesn't get a boost from the platforms. No, uh, we have to we have to boost it ourselves. Um, speaking of good things to share on Twitter, you recently tweeted out about the new Good Info project. Yeah. Uh, which has a mission to get more fact-based information in front of Americans and is uh, pretty well-funded in that mission, which is very important. Uh, can you share what you know about this and why you're excited? Yeah, absolutely. I, I am very excited about this. So uh, just today, breaking news, <laughs> um, uh, it was announced, uh, the, the the rollout of, of uh, Good Information, it's a social purpose nonprofit organization, just happened. And uh, you know the the initial story, news story. I think it was out of Axios, mm-hmm. tells us that it's funded by Reid Hoffman and uh, Soros, I believe, it? also. Yeah. And and George Soros. Yeah. Right. So yes, well funded. Um, the 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 thing that excites me about it is first of all the mission, uh, because it's the mission is really to fight disinformation, and so good information is intends to be an incubator for organizations that want to engage in this project. And, and part of that, that project is uh, creating content that's truthy uh, <laughs> right. and, 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 that, and that tells the story uh, that needs to be told. And then um, the, you know, the other part of that project is um, you know, stuff akin to what maybe a Demcast does or, or other, or, other organizations that are really trying to push that content out and get it in front of people in, in a variety of ways. I'm sure it'll be everything from ad buys to um, maybe some, some organic type stuff that we're like what we're doing, mm-hmm. but uh, big investment is necessary in this space. It's great that good information is, is there now they, their first acquisition was courier media, which is a independent media network that uh, is present in about eight states. And they're trying to bring local journal journalism back. That's really which important. Is super important. Yeah. Um, they have like outfits like the copper courier in Arizona and the gander in Michigan. <laughs> uh, so, so go, go look up courier, look up their news organizations, uh, support them. Cause that's really good content. Um, but the you know the founder of Good Information is Tara McGowan, and uh, she's really smart on this stuff, and, uh, and so I have I have big hopes for for what they'll be able to do. So yeah, very exciting news today. 
That is exciting. Uh, we need more of that for sure. And uh, for and, sure. The, and there's, as you said, and as you you started from the very beginning, you know, kind of what you found when you started a Dimcast is there is a lot of really great content out of there and a lot of people who are putting out media um, a lot of strong voices in this space and um, and they just need to be heard so you know uh, more more resources to get them bumped up on on people's radar uh, is going to be really really impactful I think yeah um, and the, uh, another thing that's really going to be really important moving forward is just education because um, almost everybody has social media and a lot of people you know not a not a lot of people engage politically on social media. Mm. I can't remember what the number was. Maybe it was like 20, only 20% or 15% of people will even go there because they just don't want to get into it. Um, yeah. But uh, the people who do um, are often, uh, you know, even on our side, uh, unbeknownst to them, amplifying disinformation. And, um, right. and, and so we, we need to be really smart social media users going forward uh, and make sure that we're not uh, sharing untruthful content. Um, if there's blatant disinformation that you see coming out from the right wing, quote tweeting it or replying to it just moves it up in the algorithm so, so more people actually see the disinformation. Right. So, so there's just, there's broad training, <laughs> training and, and increase in understanding that we need to be able to fight back against this because it's going to be a persistent problem for years to come. It is. So um, that's what we're fighting against. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question before I cut you loose. Um, yep. And that's what we ask everyone on our interviews. What gives you the most hope for the future? Um, when I started in activism in 2016 and early 2017, I didn't know what I was doing. I hadn't been engaged in this space. There were tons of people. There was a big activist community, obviously, you know, that's existed for a long time and people with a ton of experience, but the, the, the landscape was shifting too, because of, because of the digital piece. Um, and I saw a lot of people come in, uh, who had never been engaged and activated before. And um, the thing that gives me hope is that despite the fact that uh, Democrats won, you know, across the board in uh, 2020, at least at the federal level, mm -hmm. uh, not so much at the state level. Right. Despite that fact, people are still engaged. They're, they're tracking, people are tracking what's happening. And I think that uh, the 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 scare the Trump scare, uh, which isn't a thing of the past, it's it's a thing of the present. Right, very <laughs> much so. Trump, Trump, whether or not Trump is there, Trumpism is there, uh, alive and well, and it's embodied in the entire GOP. Um, you know, people get that people get that it's still around, and I do think that there is a lot of muscle memory. Uh, from people who were engaged in 2018 and 2020 that is going to come back next year and, and in 2024. Because uh, we don't want it. This can't slip through our fingers. This mm -hmm. isn't like this isn't a, a battle that we can lose. We have to <laughs> we have to keep winning if uh, if we want our country to survive. So um, so I, I, I just I have a lot of faith. I have a lot of friends. Uh, I have great networks. I'm super appreciative of the people from across the uh across the country and every walk of life who I've connected to. Um, and so it's, it's the people, it's the people involved in Demcast. Um, 
who share stuff through their feeds, the people from Swing Left who go knock on doors and write postcards and, and all that kind of good stuff. Um, it's the people that give me hope. And I, 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 I still think that we can win in 2022. It's going to be an uphill battle. Um, but uh, we've, we've already shown that we can. And so I think it's just staying engaged and answering the call. And, and I think people will. I love that. And I, and I love your story and I'm so appreciative and grateful for your work. You know, um, uh, I love the stories of people who didn't have a background in politics and jumped in and have been able to create such a, a large impact on our democracy. Um, it's really inspiring. So thank you for sharing that with us and for being here with us today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, we are back now, Mariah and I, to share our reasons for hope after uh, that very hopeful, I thought, interview. You, as usual, did an amazing job with that interview. My reason for hope this week is very simple and straightforward. It's all the people who I know are going to take action this weekend and in the last two days before uh, the polls close on election day, um, primarily in Virginia. But you know what? I'm seeing people all over the country uh, getting out, taking action, doing phone and text banks. Um, I really appreciate all of the people who are taking the time to do that um, this week. And I'm excited to see how many people get involved this weekend. Here, here. I really do too. It's it's exciting to see the involvement, and um, we've talked about that a lot. I I can't wait to see what the results are. In fact, I think I'll say this right now: uh, we'll push next week's show uh, and release it on Thursday morning instead of Wednesday morning, so we have an opportunity to um, kind of uh, get those results in uh, from the election Tuesday night and and talk about those a little bit. So. Uh, next week's show uh, we will release on Thursday. Just a programming note in, in the middle of our reasons for hope. Um, and I'll be short and sweet about my reason for hope because I've talked about it before, but it's really kind of coming to a head right now. As we are recording this, the FDA uh, Vaccine Advisory Board is meeting to discuss uh, whether the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine should be authorized for younger kids. They have a um, pediatric dose of that for younger kids. And um, it it looks like it's going to be authorized. It'll go to the CDC's vaccine uh, advisory group after that, which is set to meet on November 2nd and 3rd. But this means that, you know, more of our kids will be able to be vaccinated and um, it will move us closer to moving this from, uh, from a pandemic to an endemic. And um, uh, that brings me a lot of hope, of course a great reason to be hopeful. Uh, so thank you for, for bringing us that. Really excited that the, the kids are going to get some protection. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. What's your reason for hope? We want to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org or send us a tweet at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share our show on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer. 
How We Win is a proud member of the MSW Media Network. We really appreciate you being here with us. And as I said, we'll be back with more next Thursday to talk about election results. See you then.